Buenos dias. I hope everyone is doing well. I guess I like recording these in the morning now. That's usually, usually when I am more clear-headed. July has not been what it usually is. <laughs> it's been a tough month, man. I've been grieving a few losses, just a lot of shit is going on in a lot of different areas, and you know, shit just be going on, y'all know how that goes, I ain't gotta tell ya, it's been rough, so naturally when things are rough I do a lot of thinking, even more than usual. So. I've been doing a lot of thinking, you know, just typical thinking, um, thinking about my purpose and how I want to go about reaching that and living that purpose every day. I'm just thinking about creative ideas and how I want to express and so much learning, but yeah, just pretty much typical thinking about my life, right? Some good ideas. And yeah, you're gonna be seeing some changes moving forward. Might be a renaming happening, might be um, some, some little changes here and there happening. Sitting back and reflecting on what it is you truly want and what's been serving you and what's no longer doing you good, it's so important because, you know, this is your life and if you want to live it a certain type of way, if you want to feel a certain type of way, you've got to do certain things. So it's easy to just kind of get in the motions of things and keep going about our day, but you got to take that time to reflect and really look at what is still making you feel good. Like, why would you keep stuff around that is not good for your energy, for your state of mind, for whatever? You shouldn't. Take some time to reflect here and there, especially if you're going through some stuff. That's when you really got to take that time to reflect because when you're going through stuff it's easy to get into other stuff simply because of that stuff you're going through right we've made some horrible decisions when we are going through a lot of shit because we didn't take the time to sort out all those feelings and reflect so reflection it's not just a thing staring back at you in the mirror it's also <laughs> something we do sit back and reflect let's get into today's episode because i don't want to talk too much today so today's episode is called who's got the power and we will be discussing social psychology and the law so we're looking at the law from a psychology perspective this was actually a lot of information that I learned from a class I took back when I was getting my bachelor's I think this class like really made me realize whoa racism is fucking real I mean I always knew it was real like 
I grew up very aware of racism and that there were certain things that just the minorities, as they like to call us, but let me just say, ain't nothing minor about us, okay? That's what they label us as, so, you know, all the non-whites, let's just say that. Fuck their term. Fuck your minority term. We are going to call ourselves the non-whites. I grew up very aware that the non-whites could not get away with the same things that the whites and that there was always a harsher punishment for the non-whites and there was always uh, just grouping like so much stereotyping you know if one fucking person that was non-white did something suddenly all the non-whites do that I grew up aware of that shit but this class made me realize racism is in everything this is when I realized like damn you know it dictates a lot of decisions and just choices and opportunities and all sorts of things that it shouldn't dictate for people and you know one group of people seems to always be benefiting from this and one group seems to not this this class opened my fucking eyes to that so i want to briefly discuss the stanford prison experiment because i want to keep that question in your minds of who has the power if you haven't heard of this experiment it's cool I'm here to tell you about it. For me, it was like one of the experiments that I will never fucking forget. Um, partly because I always wondered the same thing that they were questioning. And partly because the findings are just, whoa. You can Google this. There's like a whole website dedicated to it. The information's even available in different languages. They have a movie about it. I think it was on Netflix. So this shindig was conducted in 1971 and their questions were what happens when you put good people in an evil place does humanity win over evil or does evil triumph good questions right i always wondered those questions because i would look at people that had power and hmm people are kind of evil so were they already evil before the power or is the power making them evil so how did they test these questions well in a pretty fucking wild way basically they put an ad in a newspaper and you know they asked for volunteers in a study of the psychological effects of prison life the respondents were interviewed to ensure that they were healthy and the experimenters were left with 24 college students from both the United States and Canada. They would earn $15 a day. They were divided into guards and prisoners by flipping a coin. The basement of the Stanford Psychology Department building was turned into a pretty legit prison. There was an area they called the yard. It was the only outside place where prisoners could walk, eat, or exercise. They were blindfolded when needing to use the restroom because the restroom was outside of the prison and they didn't want them to escape. Uh, prison cells were created. The experimenters recorded the events by setting a camera in a hole in the wall. 
They bugged the cells to monitor what prisoners discussed and make public announcements. They didn't have windows or clocks. The prisoners were actually arrested by the city of Palo Alto police and then driven blindfolded to the Stanford jail. Um, so then when they got to the Stanford jail in the basement, they were greeted by the warden and, you know, they were told of the seriousness of their crime and they were made to strip naked, um, then given a uniform with no undergarments, a prison ID number was assigned a chain on their foot so you know at this point they're being dehumanized which is what happens in our prison if you've never thought about it that way sorry to do that to you so the guards on the other hand were given no training on how to be guards they were free to do whatever they thought was necessary to maintain law and order they came up with their own rules and the warden, an undergraduate student, put these rules into effect. Um, I'm not going to get into the specific details of what went down during the time of this experiment because a lot of it is actually pretty distressing. But I will just say that the participants really internalized the rules that they were simply assigned. So this experiment was supposed to last two weeks, but they actually had to end it after six days because of what these college students were experiencing. In the words of the experimenter, the guards became sadistic and the prisoners became depressed. Nobody was really in there for any real crime. These weren't real trained guards. They were just fucking supposedly healthy males in the area, college students. So I don't know, that experiment, like, every time I think about it, it's just super scary to think about because, like, people will really become these things just because, like, they're told to or it's what everyone's doing and it's, it's scary to think about. But that's a good experiment to learn about and discuss and bring up when we talk about prison abolition that it's you know such a popular topic right now a lot of people are starting to wonder hmm what could life really look like if you know prisons were abolished what is the alternative to that and um, I know for a lot of people it's hard to think about no prisons because you know that's just all we've known our whole lives but think about this experiment think about what just playing in that role of a prison did to these people maybe these prisons really aren't doing such good so now that i've made you think about that let's get into this legal system and how it's been set up i guess first Let's look at the jury selection. You get accused of a crime, you gotta go to trial, well, there's a jury there who pretty much dictates your fate. Group of people, just regular civilians. Hmm. Jury selection. Who gets selected? Who gets to be part of the jury? Well, let's see what would make someone ineligible 
if you're under 18, you're not eligible for jury duty. If you have lived in your judicial district for less than a year, you're not eligible. If you're not proficient in English, you're not eligible. If you've had a felony charge that was punishable by prison for longer than a year, you're not eligible. If you have a certain mental or physical condition, you're not eligible. So there's a lot of situations that can make someone ineligible and you know, under 18, there's times when children are taking a trial, like, why can't they have a jury that represents them? The one that, if you've only lived there for less than a year, well, let's think about who moves around a lot. People that are renting because they're constantly chasing the cheaper rent, right? People who are renting are usually less financially well off than those who own a home. Hmm, the other one not proficient in English, do I even have to go into detail with this one? The felony charge one, hmm, some people get felonies for bullshit reasons. I mean, we're looking at it right now, they're giving protesters felonies, they're charging them with felonies for protesting. So all these people, like, they wouldn't be able to go to jury duty. Um, I think in a lot of states, you wouldn't be able to vote just because you were protesting. You, you were doing what you have a right to do. So if they don't happen to be in any of these situations that would make them ineligible and they get summoned, the jurors then get interviewed by either a judge or a lawyer. The purpose of this is to eliminate anyone who might be biased, but this could just mean anyone who would vote different than what the interviewer wants, right? Um, the type of questions that they're allowed to ask include occupation, employment status, education, marital status, children, where they grew up, what kind of magazines do you read. These are things that tell a lot about a person in my opinion they want to know if this person has an interest in the outcome which i feel like every human should we're all human um we should want other humans to have justice they want to know has this juror already formed an opinion you can actually be deselected for this because that would mean biased but ironically these judges and lawyers have an opinion about you, the juror. Ah! Alright, so after this has been done, then we have the peremptory challenge. This means that a lawyer can remove a few jurors without giving a reason. Why would they do this? Well, because it would either hurt or help their case. What guides their decision? How they assume the juror will vote. But like I said, this can be assumed by stereotypes. They usually look at individual differences to predict whether this juror is going to favor the prosecution or the defense. 
There's even like how-to books out there that claim verdicts can be predicted from the jurors' demographics. In yet another part of the selection, they give the jurors a survey that they call a juror bias scale. You're supposed to answer questions and you choose how strongly you agree or disagree on a scale from 1 to 5, with 3 being neutral. I'll give you guys some examples of those questions for anyone that wants to know. Uh, One of the statements, a suspect who runs from the police most probably committed the crime. Well, I don't know. It's all situational, right? Another one, the death penalty is cruel and inhumane. Again, situational. Are you going to think it's cruel and inhumane to do that to uh, someone like Hitler? A lot of people might not. Oh, and the death qualification. This question alone can get you excluded as a juror. Judges will typically exclude any juror who is against the death penalty because they claim that this ensures the sentencing will be unbiased. Pero... This affects the verdict. Why do I say that? Because a study found that those who support the death penalty are more likely to vote guilty than those who oppose it. So, it affects the verdict. Just hearing the question alone creates bias because that's priming, right? Priming is when you're influenced by a stimuli. How is this whole process unbiased if you know, this alone is pretty biased. So now we've gotten to the part where I realized racism is something that the oppressors really don't want to let go of. Scary stuff, man. Oh, here's another one. Too many innocent people are wrongfully imprisoned. That will say a lot about you. So that is the juror bias scale survey that they use. So this is all still part of just selecting the jurors, right? And they call this whole selection process the scientific jury selection. So all of these things that we've been discussing make up the scientific jury selection like the fact that the jurors' attitudes are predicted from known background information, the fact that they send out community-wide surveys to determine predictors of relevant attitudes, the interview at the beginning of the process to exclude those who have biased attitudes. It's all about taking away these biases, but like I said, these judges, these lawyers, they have biases too. So does this scientific jury selection even work? I'll give you some cases that involved scientific jury selections. Rodney King, O.J. Simpson, Louise Woodward, she was a British nanny, the McDonald's coffee case. That's all I have. If you want to really dive into this, just Google. Google's your best friend when you want to learn. Should we continue using this scientific jury selection? Is it just? The law says that Criminal defendants have a right to trial by a jury selected at random from a fair cross-section of the community. I'll let y'all decide for yourselves.
some of y'all might be thinking, well, if social psychologists have all this knowledge about how these systems don't work, then why don't they tell those who have the power to make changes? Well, the APA, the American Psychological Association, actually submitted a report with all this information to the Supreme Court. But the court still ruled in favor of the death qualification. Um, apparently, it's really hard to convince the public about social psychology findings, but when you think about the racial biases in applying the death penalty, which you can actually learn more about in a book by Jennifer Eberhardt, uh, Jennifer is a black woman and she is a social psychologist. She's done a lot of research about biases that are all around us. And she has a book called Bias, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. So if you want to learn about racial biases when applying the death penalty, get that book. So that was about how juries get selected. Let's get into eyewitness testimonies. Are they reliable? Can they really be trusted? What about confessions? Well, I don't know the actual number. I didn't research it. But I remember when I took that class, it was like 80,000 people charged with crimes due to eyewitness testimony each year. Um, that was a few years ago. I'm imagining now that number has probably grown a few, so a lot of people are charged with crimes due to eyewitness testimony each year. We should ask ourselves, how accurate is this eyewitness evidence? You might be surprised, it's actually been found that it's not very accurate. And there's this great organization called the Innocence Project, and um, what they focus on is finding wrongfully convicted people and getting them out of jail. So a lot of the numbers that I'm going to be sharing with y'all come from them. So if you want to just Google the Innocence Project, they have a lot of good information on their site. So according to them, the leading factor in wrongful convictions is, you guessed it, mistaken eyewitness identification. They make up over 75% of the wrongful convictions that were overturned by post-conviction DNA evidence. 75%. That's a huge percentage. How are eyewitnesses getting at this wrong? Sadly, a lot of it just has to do with the way our memory works. The way our memory works, that's another mindfuck. I'll be doing an entire episode about how memory works for those who enjoy a good mindfuck in the future, um, but for now we're going to keep it short. So our memory is not a perfect recorder, okay? Of course there are those rare instances, like people that have photographic memory, yes, their memory is a perfect recorder, but the average human being, our memory is not a perfect recorder. We remember the gist of our experiences, but most humans are not good at remembering the details, especially in stressful situations. Because in stressful situations, our attention becomes narrowed. Let's say a gun is involved. 
the eyewitness is more likely to focus on the gun than the person holding it. We overlook things. We are also constantly perceiving. So what the eyewitness remembers may just be their perception. I think we all know by now that sometimes what we perceive is not what is happening. Angles, lighting, etc. All of that has an effect on how we perceive something. Our memories also change a little each time we retell them. And we end up remembering the last version we told rather than what we originally experienced. This is a problem in itself because how many times has an eyewitness retrieved the memory by the time they testify? Too fucking many. Let's say we've been having dreams about the situation. Those dreams may get meshed with our memory of the experience and the experience is no longer accurate. Let's say we received misleading information after the event. This can also bias our memory for the original event. They call this the misinformation effect. Remember I mentioned priming earlier? Well, let's say when we first tell what we witness, the police officer who is taking your statement starts asking you loaded questions. Loaded questions use very specific language that can make someone change their narrative. For example, if you ask people how far were the cars going when they smashed into each other versus when they hit each other, people will say a faster speed when smashed was used. How can this create a problem? Well, now that we all know systemic racism exists, are these loaded questions being used on those of certain races? Hmm. So eyewitness testimony. Not as reliable as we may have thought. Now, let's talk about confessions. Well, are those accurate? I mean, it's the person themselves saying they fucking did it. Well, Innocence Project has found that 28% of convictions that they reverse through DNA evidence involved false confessions. And they have so many stats on the Innocence Project, so if you're a numbers person, go look at those. You will actually probably want to see them there. Interesting numbers. 28%, that's, that's a significant percentage. Why would a person confess if they're innocent? Why just say you did it? You didn't do it. It's not as ridiculous as it sounds. Just think about your personal life, like all the instances in your personal life where you just did something because you knew the other person wouldn't believe you anyways, or to just get the other person to shut up, or whatever the fucking reason. I'm sure there's been times when you did or admitted to doing something or to saying something that you didn't. It's not that different when you're being interrogated. Why would an innocent human confess? Well, let's look at some of those numbers that I mentioned were interesting. 49% of these false confessors are 21 years old or younger at the time of arrest. These aren't even really adults yet. Even if you do consider yourself an adult at this age, you haven't experienced how to be an adult to thrive in this society that has been created. If you're a male, you know, your frontal lobe develops slower than females, apparently. And the frontal lobe, that's what's in charge of judgment. It's also in charge of other cognitive skills, but 
you know, it, it helps us make good choices, basically. Um, if that's not developed yet, and you're being interrogated, and you're just like, oh, fuck, you know, I just want to get the fuck out of here. You may make the horrible choice of just saying you did it. 33% were 18 years or younger at the time of arrest. 18 years or younger! What the hell? These are kids. They're just like, fuck, just... I want this to stop, like, if I say I did it, it'll stop, but they don't think I'll also face these very real consequences, um, or, you know, they, a lot of times, too, they're protecting someone else, like, they don't want to be a snitch, whatever, the consequences they face outside of prison may be worse to them than what they could face in prison, false confessions can happen, man. 10% of false confessions had mental health or capacity issues, right? Mental health issues, imagine you're in there, you fucking have PTSD, depression, anxiety, you have a history of dissociating. Um, if it's a capacity issue, you may truly not understand what's happening or the actual real consequences of it. So that question, why do innocent people confess? They confess due to compliance. If your whole life you've been conditioned to comply, it won't be much different when you're in a legal interrogation. Sometimes you just want to escape a bad situation. Sometimes you're covering up for another bad situation. Um, the interrogations, they can be long. They can be stressful. There can be threats given. It can be very triggering. Innocent people can also confess due to internalization. Some people actually believe that they may have committed the crime. How? How would they end up believing this? What if the person's memory of the incident wasn't that clear to begin with? The person could have been drunk. The person could have a history of dissociating, like I said. Someone can be gaslighting them. And there can be false evidence presented and they're like, fuck, maybe I did it. Well, these interrogations, they're, you know, like I said, stressful, triggering. They're, they're not very cool to be a part of. And there's actually a lot of confirmation bias that has been found in the interrogations. Confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. Can the interrogator fall for this? Absolutely. The interrogator usually already assumes the suspect is guilty. Therefore, any new evidence that pops up, it's going to further reinforce that. So from the start, some of these confessions are false. Now when we go to actual trial, the jurors will be strongly influenced by the evidence of a confession. It doesn't matter if it was coerced. The jurors will believe it to be strong evidence. Scary stuff. Because the coercion does fucking matter. But you see, when there's a confession, the jurors are faced with what psychology calls an attributional dilemma. Did the suspect confess for internal reasons or for external reasons? The fundamental attribution error says that we tend to explain someone else's behaviors based on internal factors, so their personality, their disposition, and we underestimate the influence of external factors on their behaviors. So how I was saying earlier, like, well, this is all really situational, right? When we are explaining someone else's behavior, we tend to underestimate the situation part. And 
overestimate this is who this person is that's why they did this what have we learned so far a lot of scary stuff <laughs> right i'm laughing as i keep saying scary but no this is very real stuff that we need to know so that we can change this fucking system because this ain't it let's recap what we've learned First, we've learned that juror selections are not as random and as representative of the community as we thought. Second, we've learned that eyewitness testimonies and confessions are not as reliable as we thought. So are these issues a random or a systematic error? A random error is just that, something that happens unexpected. A systematic error, on the other hand, is a reproducible inaccuracy that consistently occurs in the same direction. In other words, it's due to an identified cause and can be eliminated. The social psychologist I mentioned earlier, Jennifer Eberhardt, she actually did a study to prove that these errors in identification were systematic and um, basically what she did, she went to a police agency who was 76% white, 86% male. The officers were randomly assigned to be primed with crime-related words, um, such as arrest, shoot, investigate, or to a control group with no priming words. They then, as part of a separate task, were shown black or white faces. Next, a surprise recognition task was assigned. They were asked to identify which face they saw out of a lineup of five. These faces varied in stereotypicality. Two were more stereotypical and two were less stereotypical than the actual face that was presented. The findings were that the officers picked the more stereotypical faces when it was a black face and the less stereotypical faces when it was a white face. This error was found to be greatly heightened by the priming. Now... Let's look at the factors that affect lineup identifications to show how this is actually a systematic error. Four factors that affect lineup IDs are construction. How distinctive is the target? You can have a lineup of people that look very similar to the target, a lineup of people that look very different. Think about how that's gonna affect the choice. The instructions. Is the witness told that the target may not be present? And that could affect the choice they make. Then we look at the format of the lineup. Is it simultaneous where all the participants of the lineup are viewed at the same time? Or is it serial? Are they viewed one at a time? That can affect the choice. And lastly, the familiarity-induced bias. This states that we often retain feelings of familiarity, but forget where we saw a face. So this is that whole gist versus details phenomena of the memory that I mentioned earlier. We may assume that it's the criminal, but what if it's a previously viewed mugshot or an innocent bystander? This can lead to mistaken identity, and there are a lot of cases out there where mistaken identities were taken to prison and decades later were found innocent. Decades later, years of your life gone due to a mistake. Ah, 
that makes me fucking angry, it makes me feel all sorts of things. There's also the cross. They don't include this as part of the four, but the cross-race identification bias. This states that people are less accurate when trying to recognize someone from a different race or ethnic group. This is because we've maintained mostly segregated and we lack familiarity and expertise in races or ethnicity outside of our own. Um, so, you know, just another thing that can lead to an eyewitness picking the wrong person from a lineup. It's crazy. These eyewitnesses are getting it that wrong and you may think, what if they're really confident? Doesn't that mean they're right? And actually, it doesn't, you know? Their confidence doesn't improve the accuracy of their testimony. Actually, what makes them so confident is the positive feedback they receive after they ID the eyewitness. Um, the only thing the confidence does is it makes the person seem more persuasive. That's just because we perceive confidence as accuracy, but they're not always related. Instead, what experts say is to pay more attention to how long it takes people when identifying a person in a lineup. The rule is if it takes 10 to 12 seconds, then it's a higher chance of being accurate. So if we go back to that original question, who's got the power? Well, it's these people who, like the jurors, get pretty much selected. These lawyers have power. These judges have power. The jurors have power. Police officers have power, right? And they only have power because the higher-ups who actually have the power give them that power. And it's time to really look at this system because, in my humble opinion, these people are not choosing these careers randomly. Most of these people are going into these careers for very specific reasons. In the case of the police officers, most of them are fucking racist. Then we have the ones that aren't really good at anything else. We also have the, my dad's a cop. That's a popular one. And then, you know, we do have those that want to go into it to change the system, but once they get in there, they realize they have no power to change it. The lawyers, you know, not anyone can be a lawyer. You actually have to go to school and get an education, pass the bar, and all that takes a long time, a lot of money. So when we look at that, you know, they may not be selected as easily as the police officers can, but think about it, who has the money and time to dedicate to getting a law degree? Usually, people that are well off financially, people that, you know, have a family member that was a lawyer, people that have a job waiting for them at a family member's law firm. A lot of the times, these people are fucking racist, so there's that. Then we look at the judges. Judges 
are very similar to lawyers. In most states, you have to have a law degree. You have to have been practicing law for at least 10 years before you become a judge. But there are instances where someone can be appointed with no real experience. It's rare, but it has happened. And, you know, yeah, maybe these judges and lawyers can't be just anyone that's racist because a lot of racist people don't have the range for that kind of education that you have to get in order to be a judge or lawyer. But take a look at our judges. A lot of them are old and white and males. So do they have a set way of thinking? Yes, they do. And a lot of times that set way of thinking is fucking racist. This is exactly why we are saying abolish the motherfucking police. Abolish prisons. Abolish ICE. Dismantle white supremacy. Dismantle everything. Burn this bitch to the ground. Damn, I hope my FBI agent is off today. Okay. Alright. I want to briefly end with just some quick stats from the Innocence Project. 367 humans that they have gotten out of prison. 367 humans who have been found innocent of a crime they were in prison for, for some of them, like 20 years. It's just, oh, sorry, you're actually innocent. 61% of these overturned cases were black Americans. That people want to go around saying all lives matter. 61% yo, and that's only the ones that have been overturned so far. Like, I'm sure there's so many people in jail sitting there for nothing. Because a system strategically targets. If you do all the learning and still think prisons and the law and this fucking mass incarceration and policing and violence is it. I don't know what to tell you. It ain't it. It ain't it. So, how objective is the decision-making that occurs in our legal system, then? Not very. And I didn't even touch on the fact that some people can be detained without being charged of a crime. About how fucked up the bail system is. Like, this was just jury selection eyewitness testimony not being reliable and confessions being false very often. That's it. There is so much more to look into in the legal system and every other system that exists. Power, man. It's one hell of an oppressor. It can be. Unless you're like Spidey and you also accompany your power with great responsibility. <sighs> it's fucked up, man. I didn't want to end it on this fucked up note, but that's what it is. It's fucked up and we need to educate and really look into every fucking system and how it's actually been set up. And you'll see the racism. And you'll see the purpose of every system. <laughs> you know, they like to say, oh, 
we're uplifting, we're helping. No, you're just oppressing. Every system is built on oppression. So it's time to really fucking dismantle all that. Let's not give up. Let's keep pushing forward for a better world. It is our duty to make society better than how we found it. Because what the fuck else are we going to do, man? Come on, do it for the future. Like, we all know how much we struggle with this intergenerational bullshit. We don't want to leave this behind for the future. Let's learn more. Because when you know better, you do better.